Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at WhitRiverside. But we've come to the end of our Colossians series, the final 11 verses we're at today, which is called in our Bibles, um, sometimes called the final greeting. Have we, have we enjoyed this letter so far? Yeah. 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 Great. Okay. That's as good a response I'll get. We've enjoyed, the, we've enjoyed the letter so far. Hopefully we've been genuinely challenged by this letter. I think there's so much to this letter. There's so much we can get out of this letter. And I I also think the letter to the Colossians is such a relevant letter to us today. And hopefully you get why we call this series now. Because the letter, the crux of the letter, is all about Jesus's, the the encouragement to the Colossians that Jesus's lordship should affect every single part of our lives today. That no human existence, no part of human existence remains untouched by the loving and liberating rule of Christ. And because of this, we are invited to live in the present, live in the now, as if the new creation began, arrived when Jesus rose from the dead. It's what this letter is all about. And this morning, as we uh, conclude on this letter, I just want to reflect together on what we have looked at over the last few weeks and then look at these final 11 verses. As I was watching um, last week back, so I wasn't here last week, but watched it, caught up on YouTube. As I was watching last week back, there was something that Simon said that really... Uh, stopped. I, I had to pause the YouTube. I had to pause and rewind and hear it again and see what Simon was saying. Something that really hit me, something that I thought was really challenging, and it was this. He said, if no one asks you why you are living like you do, you are living wrong. If no one asks you why you are living like you do, you are living wrong. That is a really challenging thing to hear. A really challenging thing to hear. And in essence, as I was reflecting on that statement that I heard and thought, wow, that's a bold thing to say. As I was reflecting on it, I thought, actually, that's the essence of this book. That's what this letter is all about. Because the letter is explaining that Jesus has lordship over earth today and that his lordship should affect every single part of our lives. It should change who we are and it should change how we act. And as we've looked through this letter, we've looked at the pressures that the Colossians were under, haven't we? The first pressure that Paul was aware of was the one for the Colossians to commit to the Jewish laws, that following Jesus meant they had to do what the Jews do. They had to get circumcised. They had to uh, not eat certain things. They had to do what 
Jewish people did. And we've looked quite a lot, I think, at that, at the idea that the pressure that we have to add something to Jesus in order to be a proper Christian. But there's another pressure that I think we've touched on slightly less in this series that Paul was really aware of when he was writing the letter. And this other pressure was that Jesus, yeah, that's fine, worship Jesus, but worship him alongside the Greek and Roman gods. There was a pressure to simply have Jesus as another god, a pressure that Jesus would be an addition, an addition to their lives. And I think both these pressures, both these pressures are really relevant to us today. And as we've gone through this letter, for me, I've reflected on both those pressures and I've thought, actually, they're things that we see so, so, so often today, either feeling like we need to add something to Jesus or feeling like Jesus should be simply added to the other things we do in our lives, that Jesus is just an addition to all these other things. But this letter is all about Paul saying to the Colossian church that both these approaches, if you give in to these pressures, both these approaches involve compromising your faith. Both of these approaches, if you go with Jesus being an addition to the other things or having to add something to Jesus, both of these approaches are compromising. Because in Christ, Paul says in this letter, we are brought to fullness. In Christ, Paul says in this letter, we have absolutely everything that we need. And if we are in Christ, because we have everything we need in him, if we're in Christ, every single thing about us should be affected. If we're in Christ, Colossians says, our whole life should be affected. How you spend your time should be affected. How you uh, treat people should be affected. How you spend your money should be affected. How you live in your house should be affected. If we are in Christ, everything about us should reflect that. And it begs the question, if you aren't different because of Christ in you, have you really let him in? If you aren't different because Christ is in you, have you really let Christ in? See, as I was reading through this letter again this week, I, I thought, actually, there's a real danger for us. There's a real danger for many of us, especially those of us who have been in and around the church for a long time or have been brought up with Christian family. There's a danger that we call ourselves Christians simply because we don't really know any different. We call ourselves Christians because we've always been Christians. We call ourselves Christians because we do Christian-y things. We go to church and we sometimes read the Bible and we do things that Christians do, yet we never actually allow Christ into our lives. There's a danger for all of us. I think it's a real danger for Christianity in the 21st century that Christianity can become something that we do and not something that we live. That we don't live out. We never allow Christ to transform our lives. And I think it's a danger that we 
constantly need to be reflecting on in our own lives. And I think this danger is particularly for those people that were brought up in and around the church. For those that have been in the church for a long time, for two main reasons. Firstly, because familiarity breeds contempt, right? Coming to church can almost become part of routine. Midweek, we go to work. On Saturday, we watch the football. And then on Sunday, we go to church. It can become just part of the routine, something that we do, in addition to our lives, in addition to all these other things that are part of living. And then we can come here and we can chat before the service and then we can sing a few songs and then we sit down in our seats and we half listen to a sermon whilst kind of daydreaming about the rest of the week and then leave this place and nothing changes. It's so easy to do. I've done it for so much of my life and I do it so often, I know. We can leave this place after spending time with God the exact same as how we came. And even sometimes if we come away thinking, wow, that was challenging, or wow, that was interesting, or there was something in that today, the reality is, a very small percentage of us will go away and do anything practical about it. And this isn't me having a go at anyone because I do it myself. It's just the reality. The reality is that so many of us do church. It's something that we do, but we don't change from Christ in us. We don't reflect on it when we go home. We don't allow Christ to affect every single area of our life. See, I wonder how many of us remember what Simon said last week. And I remember how many of us, I I, I wonder how many of us did something practical about it this week. I think it's a real challenge because we live such busy lives. We live such busy lives. There are so many things going on that we can so easily fit in church, fit in Christianity, fit in following God with all the other things that we do. It's so easy for Jesus to become a part of our lives, something that we do. And the other reason why I think this danger is particularly prevalent for those that were brought up in and around the church is if you were brought up with family following Christ, if you were brought up in an environment where maybe your parents follow God and your parents brought you to church, it can be so easy for us to allow those two things to link so much that our family carry our faith for us, that our parents uh, carry our faith. For, For so many people who are brought up in and around the church, family and church can become so interlinked that they they can't really separate. Faith and family get linked so much together, and on its own, that's not a bad thing. But it's only okay if we take ownership of our own faith. Because there comes a point where we need to decide, and I think this is what the letter is all about. There comes a point where we we need to decide, do I actually believe this for myself? And am I willing to live my life uh, on this? Am I willing to base my life on it? Do I believe it? And am I willing to base my life on it? Because the reality is, If Jesus really is the son of God, then this is of infinite 
importance. If Jesus really is the son of God, then there's nothing in life that really matters other than that. If Jesus really is the son of God, then we are absolutely fools if we don't live our life based on that fact. And if Jesus isn't the son of God, if Jesus was simply a con man, then we are fools for being conned. If Jesus is simply a con man, then we are fools and it's of no importance at all. If it's true, infinite importance. If it's not true, zero importance. It's simply one or the other. It cannot be a hybrid of the two. It simply cannot be, yes, Jesus is the son of God, and now I'm going to live my life the exact same I would if he wasn't. Yes, Jesus is the son of God, and now I'm going to get on with my life, now I know that fact. It's simply one or the other. If Jesus is the son of God, it has to affect everything about who we are. See, being in a seaside town like Whitstable or Herne Bay is, is amazing. It's, it's so beautiful. It's so peaceful. But if we're not careful, I think that we can get swept into seeking comfort in all areas of our lives. And that includes our faith. And especially for young people, I think that this is a really hard place to take ownership of your faith. Because if you're living in a city like London, Manchester or Bristol, you'll be constantly meeting people from different backgrounds. You'll be constantly being asked about yourself, about what you believe, about who you are. And in those places, you have to make a choice because you're going to be asked on it. You need to know where you stand. You need to have an answer to those questions. Who are you? What do you believe? Those questions are being fired at you all the time and you need to know where you stand. But I think we're rarely challenged in the same way in seaside towns, in quieter places. So much so that I I believe that it leads to sometimes awkwardness, even within a Christian community, talking about God, because we're so not used to doing it in all environments. But in this letter, Paul is saying, this letter that we've been looking at in the last six weeks... Paul is saying, if you follow Jesus, if you follow Jesus, then base your life on it. If you follow Jesus, it affects every single part of who you are. There's no such thing as a half-hearted follower of Jesus. If you really let God in, you are a new humanity. That is a big deal. If you really let God in, you are a new person. You cannot follow Jesus and not live like it. That is not an option, in, according to Paul, in this book. The whole letter is a plea. Paul is writing a plea to the church in Colossae to stand up and be counted. Paul is writing a plea to the church in Colossae to live like you believe it. And he starts this, he, he kind of has a bit of an argument that he builds at the start in the first couple of chapters. He starts by stating who Jesus is. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created. 
And then he tells us what Jesus did for us. He says, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. And then he goes on to say that you're complete in Christ. In Christ, you have been brought to completion, he says. But all of this, chapter one and two, is to build up to his point. It's to build up to his point, which is in chapter three and four, where he says, live as if you believe it. He tells us all these things about God and what it means to us. And then he says, okay, now go and live it out. And last week, for those of us that were here last week or have caught up on YouTube, last week we heard that Paul drove home this point by giving a really practical example. And he does so in a really provocative way. He reshapes the most basic Roman institution, the household, around the person of Jesus. And he's making a point here. He's saying that even the way your household runs should be completely reshaped as a response to following Jesus. He's saying everything about you, every area of life, even where you feel most private in your house, everything about you must change as a response to following Jesus. It's such a challenging book. It's such a provocative book. And it leads us nicely into this final section where we find ourselves today, the final section of the letter, which in our Bibles might be called the final greetings. It's chapter 4, verse 7 to 18. And I'm going to start by reading the first three verses. It says this, Tychicus, oh, have I got it? Yeah. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. Now, to be honest... If I was reading Colossians at home, if I was reading it in my quiet time, this is the kind of section, this final 11 verses, that I would skip through. It's the final section that I'd be like, all right, on to the next thing. Because on the surface, it seems really boring. Paul was telling the Colossians about the people who are holding, who are reading out the letter to them. And also, Paul in these 11 verses is just saying, oh, also, my mate says hi. That's basically what's going on in these 11 verses. But there's something actually very controversial and quite profound within it. There's something a lot more going on in here. If anyone knows their Bible very well, much better than I do, as soon as they read this, the name Onesimus would have jumped out of the page. You'd be thinking about the background of Onesimus. Because the background is Onesimus, who accompanies Tychicus with this letter. So the two of them come and uh, read this letter out to the church in Colossae. Onesimus was a slave, a former slave to a man named Philemon, who was a key member of the Colossian church. So with Tychicus comes this former slave, Onesimus. But not only was he a slave to someone in the Colossian church, 
but we read in the book to Philemon that, um, that Onesimus actually escaped his slavery. So he'd escaped the house of Philemon and he'd ran away. And this was a crime worthy of imprisonment. This was a pretty big deal. He'd escaped what was seen as his duty and he'd escaped the Colossian church and had fled from them. But we see here that in verse 9, Paul calls him, calls Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother. Even more than this, in the letter to Philemon, Paul says, receive Onesimus no longer as a slave, but as a beloved brother. See, this is super radical in this moment because Onesimus should be going to prison. Onesimus should be paying the debts for running away from slavery. Onesimus should be in big trouble right now. And Paul is saying, no, 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 receive him no longer as a slave, but as a brother. Do not punish him for what he did. Just receive him and love him. See, this is so radical, and I think it's quite hard for us today to quite understand the magnitude of it because we don't see this kind of situation in this way. And as I was thinking about it, the closest thing that I could think of would be if someone came to Riverside and smashed up our building, stole the money and ran away, and then months later came back holding a letter that said, "Um, by the way, I'm coming back to be part of you. Welcome me and don't... um, Don't make me pay for any of the damages. Let me keep the money and let me be a part of your church. And if that happened, I would be fuming. I would be like, that is so unfair. Where's the justice in this? Why are we not making him pay for what he did? Why are we not making him uh, give us the money back at the very least? But Paul was making a point here. He's finishing his letter with a bit of a bang. He's finishing his letter by making the point in the most provocative way he can. He is saying that Jesus is the master. Jesus is the ruler. See, Onesimus was a slave to Philemon, but now he's a servant to Christ alongside Philemon. He is now your brother as you both live a life together devoted to God. This is such a radical thing to be saying to these people. And when I see things like this in the Bible, when I see things that are so radical, that are so contextually radical, I find it sad how the church has a reputation for being so behind the times. I find it sad how the church, how how Christians have portrayed the Bible as an out-of-date book. And I have no idea how we've managed to do this because this, is, this book is so cutting edge that looks at the person of Jesus who was so radical in seeking justice and in loving the unloved. This book that includes letters like the letter to the Colossians that seeks to change uh, culture for the better, to stop the home being a place of patriarchy and abuse, to stop the abusive nature of slavery, to treat all as equals, no matter the circumstances. How could this be misunderstood so much as being outdated? 
How can this book look so outdated to so many people? How have we as the church allowed that to happen over hundreds of years? See, I really believe that the church should be leading the charge for equality, for inclusivity and justice, because that is what Jesus did. And that, who is, that is who Jesus is. And when Paul is reshaping what the household looks like and how slaves should be treated within that setting, he is reshaping it in order that Christ would be the ruler now. And I think the hard truth is, I think the hard truth is the reason Christianity no longer leads the charge in justice and morality, and please don't be fooled into thinking Christianity does lead the charge in that in the world. The reason we no longer lead the charge in those things is because we've become far too static. The church has become far too static. See, Paul here is challenging the norms of Roman society in this letter. He's saying... What does it look like to allow Jesus into every area of our lives, into every area of society? What does it look like to let Jesus rule in every area of our life? And the context he was in, where family life was ruled so much by patriarchy, where slaves were the norm, Paul radically challenges this picture. But it's our job as the church to continue letting Jesus in. It's our job as the church to keep allowing Jesus to rule in our lives and to consider what does it look like today? What does it look like in my life? What does it look like in today's culture to let the love of God into every single area? What does it look like today? to allow the love and rule of God into every single area of our lives. See, I think for far too long, it's been, for Christianity, it's been looking back at what Paul said, looking back at it and thinking, oh, that's nice. I guess Paul here is setting the parameter. Oh, that's nice. I guess Paul was showing us how we should act in uh, this way, how we should respond to slavery and how we should do these things. But I think there's also a case of us continuing doing what Paul did. There's a case for us to continue in the vein that Paul started, to constantly ask God to reveal to us how we can live a life in the way that puts Jesus as the ruler in all areas. And with Onesimus present, and the church in Colossae, uh, and particularly Philemon himself, they're given... The church in Colossae and Philemon are given the opportunity to live this out, to answer the question, will you let God rule in every area of your life? See, for Philemon, letting God rule costs him financially because Onesimus had stolen from him. For Philemon, letting God rule will cost his reputation because he's going to look so weak when he allows Onesimus to come back, not only as a slave, but as a brother. For Philemon, letting God rule will cost his time. He won't have Onesimus anymore as a slave to do things that he needed done. 
See, there's a cost to letting Christ rule in every area of our lives. There's a cost to it. But that cost is so, so worth it. Because as he lets God into his life, he is being led by someone so much greater than himself. Paul then concludes this letter uh, with greetings and instructions for those that he was doing ministry with. And I'm going to read the final seven verses, verse 10 to 17, um, that say this. I'm going to try to pronounce the names as well as I can because they are horrible. (laughs) My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter's been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. See, one thing we can see by this list of horrible names of people who were working with Paul is even Paul, who was a key leader in the early church, who wrote so much of the New Testament from his letters, even Paul needed people alongside him. He needed people working with him. He needed people supporting him, praying with him and for him. Even Paul needed people to challenge him, to point him to Jesus and to do ministry with him. Paul didn't go out on a one-man mission to change the world, but he, alongside others, opened his life to Jesus and allowed Jesus to rule in every area. He decided that he would follow the leading of Jesus wherever that led him. And I think we need to remind ourselves as we uh, look through this letter, as we finish looking at this letter today, we need to remind ourselves that this is a letter that is, yes, it's so challenging to us individually, but it is a letter written not to individuals, but to a church. And whilst there are so many things for us to go away and personally reflect on in this letter, We also need to be seeking how we can help each other out as we try our best to follow God. Right at the start of this letter, we read, uh, uh, we talked about this imagery of the church being one body with Christ as the head. We may have different roles in that body. Some might be a foot, some an arm, some a leg. But the body is most effective when it moves together in unity. A couple of years ago, I took some golf lessons, and it was because, basically, every time I hit a ball, it was so frustrating. It was swinging to the right, and I was trying to work out what is going on with my form. 
Why is my form so bad that it's swinging to the right? So I had these lessons, and the golf pro uh, started filming me during these lessons. And I was hitting the ball, and it kept swinging right. And he came, and he said, come and have a look at, at your form. Come and have a look at this clip. And I had a look, and I saw that my body was moving in complete, uh, without any unity at all. Sometimes my hips weren't rotating with the rest of my body. Sometimes my feet were stuck where they were in the ground. Sometimes my arms weren't, go weren't going with the flow of my body. And he said to me, he said, just relax and swing as one. And I saw as I did that, some of my shots, not, not most of them, but some of them were going straight. See, when we as a church move in unity, when we challenge each other in love, when we support each other and we pray for one another, that is when we will be most effective. Because not only is this letter a call to allow God into every area of our own lives, but it's also telling the church in Colossae to get on board with him as he moves. As a church, we will be more effective when we allow God into our lives in every area, and then we work together in following his lead. So as we come into land on this letter, I want to challenge us to reflect on a few things. See, I think there's so many takeaways from this book. And I just want to ask a couple of questions for you to reflect on for two minutes, just as the band play, um, play quietly. Just reflect on a few questions. If you've got your phone, you might want to write some things in your notes or you might want to just reflect. But just be honest between you and God. Reflect on a few questions for a few minutes. The questions are this. Have you let God into your life? If Paul wrote this letter to you, if the letter landed on your doorstep, what would he be challenging you on? And are there any areas of our lives where we haven't opened the door to Jesus' lordship. So let's stay seated just as the band lead us in a final song. Why don't we just reflect on this, just between us and God. Be honest with yourself, be honest with God, and then we'll pray and go from here. Thank you for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more, or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.